community. That's what I want to preach to you about this morning. We've been looking over the past weeks at gospel-centered community, at how we have been first in Ephesians chapter 2, we have been brought into communion with God. We have been reconciled to God. We have been brought together into fellowship with him. Because of that, we saw in chapter 4 that we are in fellowship in one body. We are in fellowship as the church. We have gathered this together this morning as the church. This is the visible assembly of the church. We then go out into the world and we are still the church. We're not just the church when we're together, but we are especially manifest a manifestation of the body of Christ in this place and in this time. And boy, what a blessing it is to get to be a part of the body of Christ, to look around and see our brothers and sisters and to express our love for them, to express encouragement for them, to be encouraged, to be edified and built up in the body of Christ. When we come to chapter 5, I want you to see some truths this morning concerning our community with the world, gospel-centered community with the world. We engage beyond the walls of our church. We engage into our neighborhoods. We engage into our communities. We engage in missions literally around the world. And what is that to look like? Well, there's a lot of things that we see wrong in our world. I hear constantly from people, um, both legitimate and perceived, um, real and perceived problems with this world. We hear things on the news and we see things in media and entertainment and there's a lot of problems. So how do we make a difference? Some people have some very settled opinions about how we're going to change our country or how we're going to change our world. I've heard some well-meaning people in recent days who have said just some awful, awful things that just are just contrary to Scripture. And what's sad is, is that I've heard Christians respond to it in a positive way, and I'm thinking, you're, you're really missing the point. When we come to our engagement to those who are without, those who are not a part of the body of Christ, what is that to look like? Well, when we come to this text this morning, I want you to see in verse 15, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but is wise. A companion passage to this is Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, and he says that we are to walk in wisdom toward those who are without, those who are outside, toward unbelievers. We're to walk circumspectly as wise. Walk circumspectly toward those who are without. And we don't use that word circumspectly much anymore, but it's an old word that just means you're paying attention to everything that's going on around you. My mom and dad always used to tell me, Cameron, you've got a one-track mind, and that pretty much is true. Um, I have a tendency when I get focused on something, I stay focused on it. Some of you are like that. Now, some of you can think about seven different things all at one time, but you don't do it as well as those of us who focus on one, one thing at one time. Amen? Now, the people that just said amen, we're all the, one, the, the linear thinkers. We're all get on that track and let's stay on it. But... When we think about this circumspectly, I like what, um, I believe it was um, one of the old evangelists, Vance Havner or Estes Perkle or 
um, Oliver Green, one of those old evangelists one time that was describing this verse, and he said, walking circumspectly, the best way to describe it is to picture a cat walking an alleyway fence with a, bo- a Doberman pincher in one yard and a pit bull in the other yard. You get the picture? You see what it is like to walk carefully, to walk circumspectly, watching to make sure that you find that balance. So how do we do that? Are we walking circumspectly? It's easy for us to curse the darkness. It's easy for us to talk about how bad things are in our country, for how bad things are in our world. But will we, will we light a candle? Will we make a difference? How do we engage? As we think about our ministries and we think about those that are engaging in our society and in our neighborhoods and we're trying to minister in our neighborhoods and we want it to be a, a ministry of the gospel, We want to share the gospel. Our task must be gospel-centered. Most of you should be able to find in your seat this morning a little gospel tract that has been just recently redesigned. I want you to take that. Here's a way that you can engage your neighbors, your community, your world in a very simple way. On that tract is the information for our church. And so what I want to challenge you to do is to give that to someone this week, maybe even today. Now, don't give it to each other. Don't take the easy way out. I see some of y'all already planning. You know, I'm not sure my husband's saved. I'm going to give it to him. He may have acted that way on the way in, but just assume that he's, that he's good to go. I'm going to ask you to do something else, too. Now, I know you can leave it for somebody to pick up. But please leave it. If you're going to do that, it's preferable that you put it in somebody's hands. Please don't leave it in a nasty place. I I have stood in men's restrooms before and looked at the top of the urinal. like There's a gospel tract laying there. I'm sorry. I'm not touching it. Not going to mess with it. Is God able to use that word to save some soul? Yes, but they're going to be a very desperate soul So please don't just leave it in some odd place. Put it in somebody's hands, preferably with an invitation to church. It's got the information right there. That is a simple way that we can engage and share the gospel. But I want to talk to you, I want to preach to you this morning about walking circumspectly. Because I fear that in a day when our world is the darkest, And we need the light of Jesus Christ the most. This may be where the church fails in walking wisely, walking circumspectly. How do we do that? Well, I want you to ask two questions of yourself this morning. First of all, ask yourself, do I walk in love? Look in chapter 5 and verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. We love because God has loved us. We are dearly beloved children, Paul says. We love because Jesus Christ has expressed through his sacrificial death his love for us. But we love as Christ loved. How does, what does that look like? What does that appear like? Hereby shall all men know, Jesus said, that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. But Jesus' love was 
a sacrificial love on behalf of those who were contrary to himself. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us, and he gave his son to be a provided sacrifice for our sins. When we were still enemies of God, God loved us. And so if we're not careful in a dark world, we will get angry at those who are turning out the lights. We will get angry at those who oppose us. We will get angry at those, and we will treat them with less than love. Loving, walking in love, is not simply avoiding hate. There are some people who say, well, you know, I don't hate anybody. That's wonderful. Good for you. Jesus calls us to love. I will be the first to admit there are people in this world that because of their actions, because of the things that they are doing, they don't move me to love. But when I look at them and I see that person that holds to a viewpoint and an ideology and an understanding that is clearly contrary to Scripture and it is as ungodly as can be and they are persuading others to join them in that and they are doing great damage to our society and our world, it is not the first emotion that rises in me to love them. Our first emotion is anger. Our first emotion is anger that what they are doing is doing harm. And often, if we're, if we're honest about it, our anger is that they are contrary to us. But Jesus, God, calls us to love because we have been loved. If we're be real honest about it and honest with ourselves and see ourselves as God saw us when he first loved us. Let's also be honest enough to say that God loves us the way we are now. There are times saved, sanctified, spirit-filled, as I know all of us are, that we're not lovable. And yet God loves us as dearly beloved children. So we are to love even those that are contrary to us. And he says, walk in love. Are you walking in love? We will not impact this world unless we are walking in love. If our job is, if our task and our heart is more to win an argument than to win their soul, we are not walking in love. If our task is to, to prove ourselves right and our task is to get our, our ideology across and, and do what, get done what we want to do as opposed to the need of that person. You know, I was thinking of this, this truth and I was praying over uh, Luke chapter 10. I almost came really close to preaching on this. God redirected my heart in the last moment. But I think about the, I was looking at Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. Talk about a truth about how we interact with those in our world. And how when we look at others and we see this person. You see in that story, Jesus turns the question around for that lawyer. Now when you see lawyer, don't think about a lawyer in our culture but a lawyer was one who studied the old law. He studied Moses' law. 
And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what does the law say? Jesus doesn't point him to the law because the law saves. Jesus points him to the law because the law shows us that we cannot save ourselves. And you remember what it says about the man? He willing to justify himself. Jesus had to change his thinking. We've got to change the thinking. The greatest need of our world is the need to understand they cannot save themselves. Only Jesus can save. And Jesus takes that story and he turns the question around. The question is not, what kind of person should I help? It's what kind of person helps. Do you see the difference? There's a vast difference between what he was asking and seeking. He wanted to justify himself, and Jesus is saying, Look, you need to have a change in your heart. You, your greatest need. Jesus was modeling being that neighbor to this lawyer. Jesus is the good neighbor, not just the Samaritan. Jesus is the one who sees a man who is broken by the law and who is laying beside the road of life and is desperately in need of help but is looking to the wrong places for help. And Jesus is the one that reaches to him. Walk in love. But we're not just to walk in love. There are those who will say, oh, good, we just get to love, we get to love everybody. And that's wonderful, we do love. Walk in love. But Paul is also going to say in verse 8, you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We are to walk in the light. Now, this is some tough stuff, and I'm going to tell you that God stomped all over me in verses 1 and 2 about walking in love. But then I got to these verses, and he just took another pass over top of me. And I want you to listen carefully this morning, because I want you to see these verses, and I want you to ask yourself the question, am I walking in the light? If we walk in the light, First John says, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. But are we walking in the light? Paul is first going to tell us some things that we should not do. Don't walk in darkness. And let me just tell you that as we go through this, there's this theme that is running through these chapters of what we call both negative and positive sanctification. Many times as Christians, we get satisfied with the negative, the negative sanctification. I no longer do these things. I don't do these things. I'm good. But what happens is we settle for that and we become Pharisees. I don't do. And we look around and we say, well, they're doing that, but I don't. So therefore, I'm better than they are. And we get satisfied with, I don't do these things. But God calls us not just to avoid sin, but there must be the presence of righteousness in our life. Not just to not do what's wrong, but to do what is right. He says this, for example, back in chapter 4, that we're to put off the old man and put on the new. Verse 25 of chapter 4, wherefore putting away lying. Stop lying, but speak the truth. He says, be angry, but don't give place to the devil. Let him that stole stop stealing. Quit stealing, but then let him work so that he has to be able to give. Instead of taking, he's giving. 
I have never stolen from someone. I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a decent person. Yes, but what are you doing to give generously to others? So you see, there's not only what we don't do, it's what we are to do. And Paul's going to address both of these. Look in verse 3. Here's what we're not to do, the sins of the flesh, verse 3. But fornication, that sexual immorality of all kinds and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. It shouldn't be present. It shouldn't even be hinted at. Let me just pause a minute and say oh, there might be somebody already, uh, immediately that's saying, well, you know, no, I don't engage in those things. But how often are we entertained by them? How often are they the things that we feed our minds on? How often are the things that we talk about? He says, these things should not even be named among you. But not only the, the sins of the flesh, but the sins of the tongue. Neither filthiness, verse 4, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. Filthiness, language, and conversation that is about and filled with sin. Not just filthiness, but foolish talking. Foolish talking is not simply having small talk. We often do that when we get together. We talk about things that are not really that, how, how, what the weather's doing and how you doing. We have all that small talk that we do that doesn't mean anything. That's not foolish talking, but it's talking that is filled with foolishness and it is talking that encourages foolishness. And then he says jesting. Now, I've heard people take that too far and say, well, you know, any kind of humor, any kind of joking or jesting is wrong. We tell you that humor and being able to laugh and enjoy life is a, is a gift from God. But it can, be, it can be turned, it can be used. The idea of jesting here, listen to me carefully on this, because this is prominent in our society, and I see it often seep over into the church. Let me tell you, I told you this is, this is, gonna, this is God convicting. This is not my view. This is God's word. Okay, some of y'all looking a little, little angry at me. That's okay. I can deal with that. Just remember, this is God's word. So you're not angry with me. You're mad at him. And I know you don't want to do that. Jesting. Is that just telling a joke? No. It is the idea of cleverly twisting and cleverly turning. It's the idea of taking something that is perfectly innocent and understanding it to mean something totally different. Turning an innocent word or an innocent phrase or an innocent sentence and statement into something that's dirty. Boy, don't we do that or hear that so often in our day where something is said and it's innocent and somebody comes along with some kind of innuendo or some kind of, some kind of dirtiness and they turn it to that. And it's the kind of humor that feeds on filth. He says, don't have that in your lives. I think it's important for us to regularly assess the kind of things that are spoken of amongst us. Paul says, walk in light. Are you walking in light? Filthy talking, filthiness, foolish talking, and jesting. We live in a world that is filled with dirty language. I spent some time together as a family this week and I looked at Lynn and Dylan and I said, just in the past 24 hours, I have heard more filthy language 
in public. Enough to make my last day R-rated. Now, it might not have shocked some of you, but to hear it in public, to hear it in places where children are sitting and listening, to hear some of it even from Christians' mouths. Oh, of course, you know, sometimes as Christians, we don't use the actual word. We have some other word that goes for that, so we're not doing quite as bad. But to hear those kind of words, I've heard of students that hear this, and I look, I understand people say, oh, well, it's just the way our culture is. It may be the way our culture is, but it's not the way the culture of the child of God should be. Do you see what we are? In verse 3, we're to act like saints, holy ones, set apart. Here in verse, down in verse 5, we are in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Verse 8, we are children of light. We walk in the light because we are to be separated and holy. We walk in the light because we are to be Christ-like. We are in the kingdom of God. And our culture may accept this kind of profanity. And our culture may say it's perfectly all right. But God's kingdom says, don't even mention it. Let me say to our students, I know that you are inundated constantly with all sorts of language. And you grow up, unfortunately, in a culture where it is perfectly acceptable to use words that speak of these things, and not just the words. We sometimes focus too much on words and not the content of what's being said. You are surrounded with, unfortunately, filth. And to be honest, it's been allowed to get that way by pretty much the generations before. I'm not saying everyone uses that language, but it's been allowed to reach that point does not mean you have to accept that as the norm. God says, put aside, don't let filth, filthy, foolish language or jesting, but rather giving of thanks. Why? Because we know that no whoremonger, that's one who engages in fornication, remember the three things mentioned in verse 3, fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness. No person who engages in fornication, and it's the root word pornea. It's the same word we get pornography, which is a blight upon our society in this day and time. No whoremonger, no unclean person, uncleanness, verse 3, nor covetous man, verse 3, covetousness, who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Can I sum up verse 4 with this? Dirty language and dirty living walk hand in hand. When there is grace in the heart, there will be grace on the lips. When people like to joke about immorality, when that's where they find what's funny, when they find that when that's what they want to talk about, let me tell you that it is already deeply rooted in their heart. I have seen on social media, I have heard in conversations with Christ, professing Christians that I worked with at times, not currently, don't get worried about the ones I work with now, but I have worked around professing Christians who all they wanted to talk about was just that slightly subtle smut 
and it wasn't long to what was in their mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we need to be careful what comes out of our lips when we're walking in the light. Why? Because James said, you can't get salt water and fresh water out of the same fountain. How many of you are glad you came this morning? Let me hear you say amen. Just getting a little concerned here. Just walking in the light. Verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. There were those who came to the church in the early days of the church, and they said it is perfectly okay because we are saved by grace. It is perfectly okay for us to do these things, and there is no consequences for it. He says here, these things bring judgment on unbelievers, which implied is, what do you think God's going to do to his children who do the same things? Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Don't be partakers of their actions and don't then be partakers of the wrath of God that comes on them for those actions. Don't walk in darkness. But here's what we are to do. Verse 8, you were sometimes darkness. You used to be this way. You used to be unbelievers. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. We're not just to avoid doing these wrong things. And there are many Christians who would say, I've never said a dirty word in my life. I've never told an off-color joke in my life. I've never talked about these things. I've never engaged in those things. And they think that that is satisfactory. But God says, I don't want you just to be purged from sin. I want you to be producing fruit. Are you walking in the light? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? It is from goodness and righteousness and truth. And those that walk in the light, verse 10, are proving and demonstrating what is acceptable unto the Lord. And they have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather they reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things are reproved and made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Walk in the light. Verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 60. I didn't intend to read this, but I was looking at it just before the service, and I want to read it to you this morning. Because that light that he is speaking of is the glory of God evidenced in our lives. It is the glory of Christ. Where does the power and the model and the ability to walk in love come from? It comes from Christ who died for us. The only way that I can walk in love is if I am filled with the Spirit of God and I am walking in Christ. And the only way that I can walk in light is not if I try harder and I get real strict and make all sorts of rules. It is only when the light of Christ is shining through me that I will walk in light. And what is this light? It is the glory of Jesus Christ. It is the glory of God that comes upon us 
through the work of Christ, making us like Jesus Christ. My job is not to be more like the church. It's not to be more like Christians. It is to be more like Christ. And what this world needs to see is not more churchianity. It is to see more Christ-likeness. It is to be impacted by the Christians who are following Christ and are empowered by His love and are walking in His light, and we are manifesting the glory of God to this world. What will transform this world is not more good people, but it is more glory-filled people, those that are filled with the Holy Spirit. So if I ask myself the question, am I walking in love and am I walking in light, then I have to ask myself, am I walking in the Spirit? What is this quote that Paul quotes in verse 14 when he says, wherefore he saith, that's a a reference to some Old Testament scripture. What is the verse? Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. Can we say that we live in a time that that sounds very similar to? When darkness shall cover the earth, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. I don't want to be seen as a moral person. I don't want to be seen as a good person. I don't walk in the light and walk in love so people will care about me. I want them to see the glory of God. And when Christians who are seeking and demonstrating and manifesting the glory of God, when we come together in worship, we manifest and we exalt the glory of God and we experience the glory of God. The glory of God rests upon us in Christ shall give thee light. Are you walking? Ask yourself this question. Am I walking in love? That's what this world needs. But it also needs us to ask the question, am I walking in the light? Because there are some who are walking in the light and they're ugly about it. And there are those who think they're walking in love by denying the truth of the light. And that cat's getting on one side of the fence or the other. And Paul says, walk circumspectly. Walk in wisdom toward those who are without. Walk in love and walk in the light. Our dark world needs the light. Are you satisfied? Is Jesus satisfied with the light that is shining in you? Let me ask you two questions and I'm through. Here's two questions I want to ask you to ask yourself. I'm asking myself. I asked in the early service and God spoke to me and I'm asking again. But will you let the Holy Spirit speak to you through these questions? Question number one, what in my life do I need to confess? What is there in my life that's keeping me from walking in love or walking in light? 
What do I need to confess? And then listen for the Holy Spirit to point that out to you and be willing to confess it. Number two, what in my life do I need to change? What in my life needs to be different? What are the things that I've allowed that may be hindering the light? A lot of times we're like a lantern, the old-fashioned lantern. As the dirt accumulates on the glass, the light can still shine inside it, but the dirt hinders the light from shining. And we need the Holy Spirit to come and clean out some things. What in my life needs to change? So that as I enter into my neighborhood and my world and my community, they don't see me, they see Jesus. Father, speak to us this morning. And may your people respond.